Thanks, Peter. It's good to have Peter and Flora Duran back with us. They were here in town uh, for a wedding uh, yesterday. And uh, so if you guys remember, we sent Peter and Flora just a little over a year ago to Utah uh, to live. And they're working there and just being a part of Gospel Peace Church, a church that was planted just a couple years ago. So good to have them back uh, this weekend. So that's a good reminder for all of us as well. Be in prayer for the teams that are out on mission trips uh, this week. Uh, So there's a group that made it to Utah yesterday. Uh, So they're there for a week. And then there's a group that's in Copper Island, just off the coast of Vancouver. Uh, They got there, I think, yesterday as, as well. So lots of travel, and there's a couple that are leaving for New York later uh, that we're going to pray for later on in the service today. So lots of people out on mission trips. Uh, being prayer for myself and my kids, we're leaving for Utah uh, right after I'm done preaching. Uh, and so we're going to head out there for the week as well and, and join along with the teams out there. So uh, excited to, uh, to hear and see all that God's doing uh, around uh, our nation and around the globe as our teams are out. So be in prayer for them. Well, as we jump into Psalm 55, let me ask this question, or, or, or let, me, let me say the statement and see if this, this uh, rings with us here. If, if anyone says to you that life is not hard and that life's not difficult, um, they probably haven't lived much of it yet, right? They probably haven't lived much of it. And life is hard, right? I know that sounds like it's just a deep statement right there. And I know that statement to us seems very obvious. We're like, yeah, we get it. Right? And it's obvious to all of us here because we've lived. <laughs> we've lived and we've experienced the, the difficulty of life to varying degrees. The Psalms are often a, a source of comfort for, for many people because they, what, what the Psalms don't do is they don't shy away from the roughness of life. They don't pretty it up. They don't pretend everything's just rosy and as it should be. No, they... They, they recognize, the Psalms do, they recognize the sharpness of life, the suffering of life, the injustice of life. They speak into the difficult experiences found in life, like betrayal. They speak to the feelings we have of guilt and shame, which find their root causes in humanity's sinful heart. Yet the Psalms at the same time are a warm blanket for the soul. I think I've heard Trevor say there are 150 of our closest friends. I've loved that statement. Right, the Psalms are this warm blanket for the soul because they provide relief in that they, they're showing us how do we respond all right, in the face of life's trials. They, they build up our faith by revealing the character and the nature of who our God is and showing us then, okay, how do we approach him as we face what life throws at us or even face what we deal with ourselves because of our own sinfulness, Now, with this psalm, Psalm 55, we don't know the specific historical context behind this psalm of David or when it was written or or the specific situation that he was facing. It it could have been during the time that his son Absalom turned the the people against his father and and even David's own trusted close counselor, Ahithophel. It's obvious as you heard this psalm read that that someone close to David, someone he once trusted, someone who was a, a friend of his, a trusted counselor even turned against him. Now, whether or not this psalm was written in response to what David was experiencing in that moment, it's recorded in 2 Samuel 15, isn't necessarily what we need to key in on, though. From what we know of David and, and his life, we've gone through now 54 psalms, and, and a vast majority of them are dealing with issues just like this. So, so David, in his life, experienced this, this type of betrayal and harm and suffering over and over and over again. So we don't need to key in on necessarily a specific situation, historical moment, but what we need to key, on, key in on is the purpose for which this psalm was written. 
all right, to build up the faith of God's people as they look to God through whatever trial they're facing. You see, the question that we're, we're not asking from this psalm is, is, will we find hardship in this life? We're not asking that question. We know what the answer is to that question without needing the help from scriptures. We don't need the scriptures to tell us that life is hard, that life is difficult, that you're going to face suffering and pain and betrayal and wounding. We don't need the scriptures to reveal that to us. We can just walk out the door, just have relationship with, with another human being, and you're going you're gonna to feel that from time to time. No, the question we need to ask is, how do we, as beloved children of God, right, a, a people of faith, how do, we, how do we respond to hardship in faith? That's what we're finding in this psalm. This is where we need God's word to, to help us. This is where we need God's word because our hearts will not naturally drift toward trust in God. Instead, our, our hearts will naturally drift toward dependence upon self. And so it's why we need God's word to answer that question. We need to be trained by God's truth. We need to be shaped by it. We need to be molded by God's truth so that when we face hardship and suffering and trials and betrayal and wounding, right, we respond in a way which leads us to life, eternal life, eternal hope. That's where we need God's word. What this psalm does is it helps shape our our conversations with God as we face seasons of difficulty to varying degrees of which we all will experience. James chapter 1 verse 2 makes that very clear when he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, right? Well, what he's saying, James is saying is we're going to face trials and they're going to be trials of all shapes and sizes, meaning some, some suffering, some trials that we walk through are going to be incredibly heavy incredibly burdensome. They're going to last for longer seasons of our lives. But at the same time, we're going to face trials as well that are maybe lighter, maybe shorter. They don't last long, but they just, they just sting for a moment. Whatever we face, he, he's saying, count it joy. Why? Well, we're going to see why through the psalm and what we learn as we approach God through difficulty. You see, if we can learn how how to respond and to converse with our God through, through even the lighter seasons of trials in our lives, that's going to help continue to mature us to be dependent upon God during the heavier and more burdensome seasons of difficulty that we're sure to face. And so don't look at Psalm 55 as something to be applied only during the heavy and burdensome seasons of, of life, but rather as a psalm which should shape us through all seasons of our lives. And so in this psalm, Psalm 55, I I, I categorized or I found four different statements uh, or I wrote it down into four different conversations that we're to have with God as his children that we're invited by our God to say in response to hardship. So, so four conversations, if you will, of, of faith. Four conversations, four statements of faith, right? Help me, cover me, right? Defend me, rescue me. Those are those four statements we're invited to, to ask of our God in prayer. All right, so let's look at the first, right? The first statement, four com- four, first conversation of faith is help me, help me. All right, what's David ask of God in the first two verses because of the oppression and the trouble that he was facing from those who were opposing him? Look at the first two verses. He says, uh, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I, and I moan. 
Jump down to verses four and five. He says, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. Now, just to pause here for just a moment, does anyone hearing those words of David, just at first glance here, feel like David's, are you focusing David a little bit too much on yourself and and focusing a little too much on your need and, and not enough on God, right? Not enough on the glory of God, right? Like, like, so in those four verses I just read, 12 times in just four verses, David references himself, his burdens, right? Give ear to my prayer. Hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me. Answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. Horrors overwhelm me. Twelve times. Good grief, David. Stop focusing on your problems and just focus on on God's glory, right? Knock it off. Stop the whining, right? That could be maybe a little bit of a response to maybe what we hear in those first opening verses. But I don't believe David's wrong here. In fact, I believe in what David's prayers is, is, is teaching us something really actually helpful and valuable. There's something of great value to learn here in our conversation of faith that we have with our God through prayer when we're facing hardship and trial and suffering and difficulty. And that is that our prayers are to emphasize, yes, the glory of God as we turn to him in our troubles and see him as our true and only source of help. See, John Piper has said it maybe, maybe the best way. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Right? God's most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so think of what David's asking here in those four verses that we read. David's asking for and looking to, he's recognizing, he's recognizing his need for help. And he's recognizing God's ability to be the great helper the great provider. So, so, so God is being glorified in David's life as he turns to him for help because he's looking to his God and saying, you're my refuge. You're my help in time of need. You're my security. You're my rock of salvation. See, in our, in our prayers, when we converse with our God, we don't shy away from our needs. Don't shy away from your needs. We, we recognize them. And then recognize that God is the only one who can provide and sustain. And so we look to him above all. And by doing so, when we look to him and not to ourselves and not to others, we're actually glorifying the name of our God because we're saying he's the only one that can help. He's the only one that can provide. That glorifies his name. I mean, how does Jesus teach us to pray in Matthew chapter 6? He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So we glory in the name of God, but then what's he ask and what's he teach? Give us this day our daily bread. Help us. Help me. In other words, give us today what we need so that we may continue to hallow your name as we look to you as the one who provides for us. See, prayer frees us to run to God with with our needs just like a child would run to their parents and isn't shy ever about asking for what they need. doesn't mean the parent's always going to give them what they ask, but a child has no problem running to their dad, running to their mom and saying, I need this. It's the image that Scripture often gives us of our relationship with our God. He's our Father. What did Jesus just say in Matthew 6? Our Father in heaven. 
right? Hallowed be your name. We are his children. I love how Paul Miller says it in his book, A A Praying Life. If you've never read that book on prayer, Praying Life, get it today and read it. It's a fantastic book on prayer. And Paul Miller says this. He says, prayer is a moment of incarnation. God with us. God involved in the details of my life. Another author maybe has said it this way. says, prayer is what happens at the intersection of real life and an all-sufficient God who hears when we call to him. I just love that. So, so when we come to our God, one of the conversations we have with our God is, help me, help me. But a second conversation of faith to have with God in prayer, as we see in this psalm, is cover me, right? So help me, now cover me. We see this in verses six through eight. You, you, you begin to peek into David's heart and see his desire and his longing for relief and for protection, for covering. He, he says, oh, that I, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a, a shelter. There's a, a pretty powerful scene in, in the movie um, Forrest Gump. And, and it, there's a scene there where it flashes back to a time uh, when Forrest, who's he's maybe, maybe around eight years old, he's going over to see his good friend Jenny. And he goes over, knocks on the door, and she's not, she doesn't answer. And he runs around to the back to see her uh, sitting on the back porch, kind of just kind of rocking back and forth, kind of hiding. It's, it becomes clear that she is hiding and, and trying to get distance away from her abusive father. So Forrest shows up, and all of a sudden you hear the, the dad angrily yelling for, for her. And so Jenny grabs Forrest's hands and, and they, they run into the corn crop, which is behind their home, and they run to hide away from her dad. They both kneel down to pray as, as you see Jenny's father stomping through the crops, yelling for her name, yelling for her to come out from hiding. And they're just praying over and over and over again, Forrest and Jenny, dear God, make me a bird. Make me a bird so I can fly, fly far, far away. And they pray that over and over and over again. It's a powerful scene. It's a prayer for covering, for protection. It's a a prayer for refuge, for escape. That's what David's, to some degree, praying here. Now, it's not an escapist type of prayer, right? He's not naive to think that all of his problems would just go away if he could just move locations. Oh, if I could just go there, then then all of a sudden there's no problems any longer. It's not, that's not what the prayer is. Problems don't just go away. We, We recognize that. No, you actually, when you hear David speaking, you, you need to dig in. Like, what's, what's the heart of what he's asking? What's he after? And verse 6 shows us. Verse 6, rest. Verse 7 shows us lodging. Verse 8 shows us shelter. See, you see, David is, is longing for covering, for refuge, for protection against the storm that's facing him right now. Uh, the other night, now, Maddox and I, we were outside, we were in our driveway, and we were just starting to kind of watch uh, the, the storm begin to roll in. And uh, there's just something, you ever just sat and just watched the storm kind of roll in, right? There's just something mesmerizing and captivating by watching it, just like the, the, the storm front begin to come towards you, and, and the, the temperature changes, and the wind pick up, and all of a sudden you begin to hear the, the thunder kind of around you. And there, it gets to a moment when you're watching it, you're like, okay, now I'm moving from captivation and my, my heart being mesmerized to you. This is starting to get a little scary, Right? Like when you begin to hear the, the sounds of thunder just echoing all around you. It's, it's, I've always thought of it as just one of ways, God's ways of just reminding us of how small we are. Right? It's just like when you go to the ocean and stand at the beach and the waves are crashing in. It's just a reminder. Like I am not that significant. 
right? And so as, you're, as we were surrounded by this storm beginning to come in and hearing the thunder, there's this awe that, that kind of captivates us as we listen, but, but then it soon turns to, to fear, right? And so after a few minutes of hearing that thunder vibrating our chest, I, I turned to him and said, hey, we should probably head indoors right now, right? Right, out, outside in the storm, there's that feeling, when you're just, when you're just standing in that driveway and it's just coming around us, you just, you just feel vulnerable, right? There's like this, this feeling that I'm just exposed, right? And, and, and fear kind of overwhelms you. But as soon as we walked inside our home and shut the door behind us, it's like that fear just went away. Why? Because we were covered, right? We were in our home. We felt secure in that moment, right? There was a safety that came. Now we can watch the, the storm like brave men from the window, right? Right? That's what, we, what you do because we feel safe, right? This is what we find in and through our God. This is what the Psalms are continually inviting us into, right? Find your covering. Find your refuge. Find that shelter. Find that rest in Him, See, outside the presence of God, we're exposed, we're vulnerable. But in his presence, there's this peace and this protection that comes from the storm. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the storm goes away. Just because you're a follower of Christ doesn't mean you're not going to face storms. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul was afflicted with this unknown affliction. And he, he prayed, he said, three times to the Lord to remove whatever this suffering was from his life. I have to imagine Paul's prayers were deep and groaning and moaning, right? Like, remove this from me, and yet the Lord didn't remove it, but instead gave him something better. He gave him his grace, his covering, his protection through whatever affliction, through whatever suffering he was walking through. And and Paul would say it was sufficient. That was enough. In in Matthew 7, Jesus says that everyone who hears his words and does them will be like a a wise man who built his house on the rock. And he goes on to say, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But he likewise says that anyone who hears his words but does not do them, he says, well, that's going to be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. When you, when you hear that from Matthew chapter 7, what's, what's the commonality in each scenario that Jesus is listing? The commonality is that the storm hit both homes regardless of what people in that home were trusting in. The difference though is that the one who trusted in Christ found refuge in him and his word and it rested in his grace And they survived and flourished and thrived even through the storm. See, oftentimes in our human mind, we we think the best solution to whatever problems we're facing in life is, God, you just need to remove it from me, right? Just remove whatever this is, whatever this trial is, just take it away. That's the best solution. And we grow angry and frustrated when he doesn't. Yet oftentimes what we need What we need, and this is God's wisdom that far surpasses our own, but what we need, and we have to trust God, and this is where faith is built, is we need to learn through whatever suffering we go through, whatever trial it is, and he's not necessarily removing it from our lives. It means that he's teaching us to to lean upon the Lord through that trial, through that suffering, through that adversity, so that we'll drink more deeply of his grace and his sufficiency. Don't we have, as much as we don't like to endure suffering, don't, don't you, on the other end of it, when you come out of it, don't, don't you have a clearer and more amazing view of who your God is as, as he sustains you through it? And so though we want to escape it, sometimes it's God's 
God's grace to us that, no, I want you to remain in this so that you'll see me more clearly, that you'll come through this with a greater love and better, more transformation of your heart and who I am as the great provider. And so we want to lean upon God. We want to ask for help. We want to ask him to cover. A third conversation we see in the psalm of faith to have with God in prayer, though, is to defend me, right? Defend me. In, in verses 9 through 15, the, the conversation, the prayer moves to, to pleading with the Lord to fight for him, right? To bring justice, to defend him from his enemies. That David is witnessing and experiencing himself as he did so many times in his life injustice and evil and betrayal. His prayer then is for, for God to overwhelm that evil with good and with righteousness. In verse 9, he says, destroy, O Lord, Divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. And so he's seeing wickedness. He's seeing evil. He's seeing it uh, emanate and, and, and start from, from this one local area. But, and we'll get there in just a second. But notice this division and this harm and this strife. That, like, where is it coming from? Where is it coming from? It's, it's coming from within. It's coming from within. Verse 9, he says, violence and strife, are, they're in the city. In verse 10, he says it's on its walls and it's within it. In verse 11, he, he says it's, it's in its midst and that oppression and fraud do not depart its, its marketplace. And, and as we said, the source of all of this is found in verses 12 through 14. It's, and through his prayer, he's revealing that this wickedness, this division, this, this strife, this violence is coming from a once trusted friend who's now turned on David and has turned on God. We've said it here. It's one thing to expect and even anticipate attacks from the outside. We've, we've talked about that at, at length over the years. Christians are to expect pushback and oppression from the world. But David would, would clearly expect that type of harm to come from his enemies. But, but personal attacks and betrayal, they, they cut deep. They cut deep. And oftentimes, they do far more damage. And you can hear the wounding of David's heart in verses 12 through 14. Listen to what he's saying. This is a man who's hurting. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolent with me, then I could, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. It's this idea of like when they would walk into the temple and there's hundreds and hundreds of people all around him. He's like, we were connected. We, we were still there with one another. Even in the midst of a crowd, we walked in the throng together. These two were once close friends and now David has been, he's been betrayed and those wounds run deep and they do a lot of damage. Yeah, I've, I've sat down for coffee and lunch with neighbors and, and friends before who are not believers, and, and we've had conversations about faith and belief that, that ended in disagreement, maybe even had moments of, in the conversation that were moments of tension, right? I, I've, I've been on mission trips where I've been laughed at, and I've been ridiculed, and I've been mocked by unbelievers. I've even had one or two instances when I've been in New York in the streets talking with people that they get aggressive, and they get in my face, and they, 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 they clearly oppose the message of the gospel. I've, I've, I've experienced all those, those moments, and those moments sting. It's not like I enjoy it. Like, I don't walk away skipping. Like, oh, that, was, that was great. Like, I, it's still hard, but, but I get over that pretty quickly because I don't have the relationship with that person. But, but I was thinking this week, man, if my wife ever just turned on me, right? If she ridiculed or belittled me, if she mocked me or insulted me or if she betrayed me, turned on me, like that would do, 
that would do significant damage to my heart for years, for years. Right? There, there's a reason why, why Scripture goes then to great lengths to implore believers, the family of God, the people of God, love one another, right? Care for one another, right? Forgive one another. Strive for unity with one another. Bear with one another. Live in peace with one another because we're doing life together, right? See, the, the greatest threat, the greatest threat to the church today is not, is not from those who disbelieve the gospel. Your unbelieving neighbor is not your enemy, They're not your enemy. They're an image bearer of God whom we should yearn for and pray for and plead for before God that they would find eternal life in in and through Christ. We should love them and serve them and care for them and, and lay down even our lives for the good of them and herald the good news of Jesus, imploring them to believe and find life and hope in Christ. They are not our enemy. The greatest threat facing us is a a spiritual enemy that will seek to divide the church from within. Divide the church from within and turn us against one another. That's the threat facing. That's why you read the majority of the New Testament and it's this constant encouragement, this constant teaching, this constant command. Strive for unity. Love one another. Be quick to forgive one another. Because if the world can see God's people warring and fighting with one another, then it diminishes, it hinders the impact, the influence of the gospel of which we proclaim, that we've been changed by. And so our conversations with God in prayer, plead with him, right? Bring in, bring in justice and sinfulness. Bring it into the light as we see it, as we experience it. We want those things to be exposed for what they are and then dealt with accordingly. It means then that as we experience the, the struggles that come from relationships with one another, even within our faith family, and listen, we're all sinners, which, which means we are going to act sinfully at times. And so our response, even as we are living life with one another as a covenant community of faith, our response to our own sinfulness or the sinfulness of others being exposed, we, wanna, we want sin to be exposed. We want sin to be brought into light. We don't want to hide sin or sweep sin underneath the rug. We never want to do that. No, we, we admit to the world, yes, we are broken and sinful. We did communion just a little bit ago. One of the things I like to say a lot of times when I lead it is, is listen, if, if you're an unbeliever and what you're witnessing here is not a group of people that have figured life out and we got all put together and what's wrong with you fools and if you could just be as self-righteous as we are no what you're witnessing as we're taking communion is we are broken sinful rebellious people that have been saved and accepted through no work of our own but through the finished work of christ right like that's the message we send we aren't saying we're perfect we're saying we're flawed and broken and yet god loves us in spite of it through christ Right? That's the message. That's how we live. And so, so as we live in community with one another and as sin is brought into light, how do we respond? We respond as Scripture calls us to. As we do every week here, we confess. We confess where we're fallen. We don't defend, ah, oh, well, it's, they're, they're worse than I am. Will you come after me? No, we, yes, I'm broken. I, my, my life has been exposed by God's word. I confess it, I repent, and then I turn in faith to Christ who makes me right with God. That's how we live. That's how we live with one another. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then a warning, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
It's how we live with one another. We want God to defend us. We want to see sin exposed, and we want to see the hope of the gospel penetrate it and pierce it and and remove it so we find life and hope in Christ and Christ alone. Lastly, a fourth conversation to plead with God for is to rescue me. Rescue me. The remaining verses of this psalm turn to God's rescue of David and then David's trust in him. In verse 16, he says, "I, I call to God and the Lord will save me. Verse 18, he redeems my soul in safety. Verse 22, the Lord, he he sustains him. In verse 23, he says, I will trust in you. You see, in prayer, we're we're to come vulnerable before the Lord, knowing that we, we are nothing, right? And he is everything. And that in Christ, we become everything, right? Like that's where our identity and our worth and our value is found. It's in him, We come knowing that in and through Christ, we are God's rescued children, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of light, that through Christ's life and his death and his resurrection, that he is our, as the psalm would point to, our help, our cover, our defense, our rescue, and that because God delights in his son, now we, through faith in the son, We find God's delight in us and an invitation to come, come talk with him just as a child talks with their father. See, sadly for many, our our prayer lives suffer and we struggle a lot of times in prayer because maybe maybe it's because we view ourselves too much as capable and in, in control. That's, that's one, maybe one reason why we, we struggle in prayer. Like, I, I've got my life figured out. I don't need help. I've got it. We're sufficient in and of ourselves. We've got life figured all out, so we don't need him. Maybe for others, we struggle uh, with your prayer life. You struggle with your prayer life because you, you view God maybe just more as a genie, right? A genie in a bottle. I'm, I'm running to him when I need something, right? And as soon as I need something, I go to him. And as soon as I get that thing, all right, stuff back in, I'll, I'll get you when I need you again, right? Right? So, so maybe that's how we sometimes we treat prayer. Maybe for others, maybe, maybe it's just a burden of legalism has, has scarred you. And scars you into thinking, you know, God only wants to hear from you when you've got your whole life together, right? But until then, until you get your life back together, right, don't bother coming. Don't, don't annoy me until you fix yourself. Go fix yourself, and then you can come approach God. So maybe we struggle with prayer because of that. Or maybe for some, prayer just seems complicated. What am I supposed to ask for? What am I supposed to pray? I don't know what to say, Right? Is, is prayer only about praise and adoration of God? Can I bring my troubles before him? Am I whining when I do? Should I just figure things out on my own? Right? Am I annoying God? Like, oh my goodness, he's coming again with the same problem. Right? Like, 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 like sometimes those thoughts can, can, can hinder us from approaching our God. All those reasons, all those reasons, wherever you maybe fall on that spectrum, and there's probably a, a multitude of other reasons why maybe sometimes for us our, our prayer life struggles is struggled. Maybe all those reasons, though, they, they have one thing in common. They're forgetting the gospel. They're forgetting the gospel. Yes, we have sinned against God. Our sin has separated us from him. Because of this, we don't deserve to have God hear our prayers. That's reality. Instead, because of our sin, we, we do deserve condemnation. We don't, we don't deserve acceptance. We don't deserve blessing. Yet, what does the gospel do? The gospel is that God so loved the world that he sent his son to save us through faith in his sinless life, death, 
resurrection. When God saves you through faith in Christ, in that moment, in that moment, you are accepted, you are ushered into the family of God. You are adopted children, right? Sons and daughters. You are his child now in whom he delights and longs to hear from. It means that that even on your worst day, you have access to the Father and that he continually delights in you because you are being kept safe and secure and covered by the blood of his Son. It's because of Jesus then, because, because of what he has accomplished, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace, knowing that in Christ we will be heard, we will be helped, we will be covered, we will be defended. We will and are rescued. Do you pray with that kind of confidence? If not, Psalm 55 is this invitation to you to come find that confidence and acceptance with God through Christ. It's an invitation to cast your burden, just as David said, cast your burden on the Lord and rest in his sufficiency because our God will sustain you. See, the world is longing for rest longing for shelter and lodging and peace. And we can, as the the children of God, show the world the great hope that's found in him and access to God the Father comes only through Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, as this psalm implores you, implores you, implores me, keep your eyes fixed on him. As we saw last week in Psalm 54, we behold him, right? We look to him because he is great. Let's pray.